head into the Ringerverse to stay up to date with all things superheroes and nerd culture entertainment. Hosted by a rotating lineup of superfans at the Ringer, including Mallory Rubin and Van Lathan, shows will provide instant reactions to blockbuster releases, insightful backstories on canon, and mind-bending theories, as well as fresh takes on the latest news and rumors. Check out the Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. We have got to talk about, and just like that, the Sex and the City spinoff, which we will. I also like personally feel excited about the Spider-Man Tom Holland Zendaya discourse, though I have no connection to it at all. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to briefly talk about them as well. Okay. Um, But let's start with the Sex and the City situation. Yeah, one is of a generation and one is of a separate generation than us. So (laughs) though, let me tell you one thing about and just like that, that was very startling is I think it was made for uh, my generation of viewers, but Mm -hmm. it is very much a show about 50 something women in New York, and they are quite anxious about that. And they are really leaning into the 55 of it all, among other things. I mean, I, I should I just interview you about this. I'm not a huge Sex in the City fan. You are. Right. Well, this is where your New York City kid privilege, I think, really rears. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like its head of, I think, probably as someone of our age watching this show or not really watching this show. It made a difference whether you lived in New York or not. Um, yeah, like I have some friends from childhood who were into it, but it was not like a huge touchstone in general. For the finale, I had like friends who had like cocktail parties, dr- cocktail drinking parties with Cosmos or whatever. Sure. But like, yeah, it wasn't like a huge touchstone for me, but obviously it's a huge, huge show. Yeah. And I think it just kind of in the like history of television and especially prestige television, yeah. this aired on HBO in the late 90s, a, a little bit earlier than The Sopranos, I want to think, or maybe same time. But just, I think it started one year earlier than The Sopranos. Yeah. But it was, I was going to say it was the end of The Sopranos, Yang. Exactly. And, you know, when the histories of prestige TV get written primarily by men, it often gets cut out. But I think Emily Nussbaum in particular, when she was in her TV critic role, at the New Yorker, like in particular has made the case of this was definitely a turning point in terms of certainly HBO, certainly prestige TV, certainly women on TV and how we talked about how TV handled things like sex and relationships. I do think that piece is like one of the most important pieces of criticism written in quite some time. Yeah. Um, And it is also, it was also a show that was very much of its time, of the 90s. So I had been re-watching episodes kind of on my downtime because, you know, they're like, the originals are 25 to 30 minutes long, which God bless them. I know, it's fantastic. And they're all on HBO Max. So if I had like had a little downtime or needed to zone out, I'd be re-watching them in the last few months. And that's been interesting because I think the first time I watched it 
was in college and I think I was like a few years late, you know, because mm-hmm. we didn't have HBO at my house, but the show is still running and it was a phenomenon. And I remember kind of the finale intrigue that you referenced as well. And then I think I watched a lot of it idly in my twenties in New York, whether it was like on e reruns or just kind of, I don't think I ever had the DVDs, but I think like pretty soon you could stream it or maybe you couldn't stream it. I don't know how I was rewatching it, but like maybe I was just doing a lot on E which they cut out all the sex scenes, but that's okay. I know. Um, and now anyway, so I watched it as a, t- as a late teen. I watched it in my twenties in New York, living life that was very different from the life portrayed <laughs> in sex and city. And now I'm watching it in my, I'm just, I'm going to categorize myself as mid to late thirties. I'm not ready to be full late thirties yet, if that's okay with everybody. So I'm going to hang on to mid to late. Um, but watching it recently, I realized that now all the characters are younger than me, which is a real trip and really changes your perspective and your thoughts about what these characters are doing and how they're expressing themselves and some of the choices they're making. In addition to the fact that the show is definitely a late nineties version of all of these issues. So it's about four rich white women navigating sex have a lot of opinions and do a lot of things that would just not be appropriate today in any way, shape or form. And even the things that like were maybe are maybe appropriate, they express in different ways. So a show very much of its time, but a show that I definitely am super familiar with. So I was very much looking forward to this show. I think for the reason, I think one of the reasons the show is so popular among you know, a lot of people was it felt really aspirational and it sort of was, I don't think intentionally like out of touch with reality. I think it like presented a reality that it wanted to be real for lack of a better term. I mean, also it was based on the Candace Bushnell books. There was like some source material, but I think of it as like a really aspirational show. And people were like, Carrie can never afford her apartment based on whatever. She'd never get that closet or she couldn't afford all those shoes. It's just really, that's not the point. Like this is like television. It was from a time where people didn't really expect their prestige TV to reflect their life, to reflect any portion of their life, except for maybe emotional tenor. And that was okay. Right. And I think it even got credit to the extent that it was like slightly more real, like the way that it does did the talk sex about sex of it was more, and yeah. actually portray women having sex. People were like, wow, I can't believe that this is happening on TV. But of course there were fantastical elements. I mean, Carrie's wardrobe alone, which yeah. it, like no is amazing. Is yeah. Also, right. Like, of course. <laughs> like there was, it was always unrealistic about basically everything in Carrie's life. She probably had the most unrealistic life of the four of them. Um, but also like she was the narrator. So whatever, but right. shifting into, and just like that, I would, you know, I, you think you already acknowledge it's like very self-conscious about who these women are mm-hmm. and their age. And I think that that self-consciousness completely undercuts any sense of aspiration or like, or fant or fantasy. And I think that it's sort of like a really core tension. Um, Alison Herman among others, but Alison Herman for the ringer wrote about how it's like very hard to update this show. Yeah. And, um, it's pretty wild. I mean, even the first scene is Miranda Carey and um, what's the third one's name? Charlotte. Charlotte. <laughs> Sorry. Oh <my> God. <laughs> Miranda Carey and Charlotte having lunch at someplace fancy. And, you know, there's COVID. So it's always account for that. But it wasn't even a, fa- a real restaurant. And I actually was like really bummed by that. Like people pointed out that it was shot in the restaurant in the lobby of the wit- of the new Whitney downtown. But like it doesn't even capture like the essence of New York anyway. And like, I, I, I found that to be a real bummer and indicative of, of the show, because I will say, so sex, the city introduced Soho house to me. I didn't know what that fucking <laughs> okay. was. I, I mean, I have a number of questions. Wait, it's not a real restaurant. It's not the lobby of the Whitney. It is, but it's not called Clee and it's not identified as the Whitney in the show. Oh, as opposed to like on the original when they would be like, we're going to the opening of Tao, which is a real yeah. thing that happened in an episode I watched recently. Incredible. Yeah. God bless them. Um, yeah, I mean, it's also, they used to meet at the diner. And they do meet at the diner later in the mm-hmm. um, episode. And I don't think that's a real diner. I think that's the same set that they used previously on the show. But it is, it, like, peak, fancy, ridiculous, very early on. And so I guess it's going for the high gloss. 
but maybe not the aspiration in the same way. I don't know. Can we just say that it's not very well done? Sure. Um, can we can we just get there? Can we say it's that in a, poor, a lot of it's ways? It's a poor show. <laughs> it's a, like it's a real disappointment. And I say that as someone who is going to watch every episode and has been consuming content about it all weekend. So you know, I'm not. I, it's like it, I'm not above it. But I think what you pointed out and what Allison pointed out and what a lot of people pointed out about it's a show that's trying to update and adapt itself for modern times. And in a lot of ways, I think to correct for what it knows to be the mistakes and the offenses of the original show. And I, I guess I appreciate that awareness and that intention. I mean, it's, you know, it's good to realize, okay, a show about four white women had limitations and made mistakes, but watching it try to meet the way that we talk about things now is just so jarring. And I, I don't, I don't think they're landing it. And I think the approach to things like age is so depressing and they're all so ashamed of being 55. And there are all these jokes about being old and not feeling with it in a way that bummed me out and also doesn't really match with the show. And I think they're trying again to address that out of timeness. The, they are trying to engage both with new media in the fact that Carrie, Sarah Jessica Parker's character, has a podcast, which we'll come back to it. And uh, Miranda is going back to grad school with a bunch of 20-year-olds, and she is cast as the Karen of the show. And it's all done with a self-awareness, as you mentioned, and I think maybe good intentions, but like such a, like a shame and a cringiness that I find it really hard to watch. The Miranda stuff I find to be very strange because it sort of makes it seem like Miranda, all of them, but particularly Miranda was sort of like left in Amber since we last checked in with her and hadn't learned anything along the way. Mm -hmm. And the Miranda Hobbs of the TV show, I think would have had the uh, curiosity and um, wherewithal and um, politics to learn some of these things sooner. Like it makes it seem like Miranda just woke up in 2020. It was like, wow, I, I like don't know anything about, you know, uh, politics now or identity politics and, and, um, and like racial discourse. And I have a really hard time believing that'd be true. And it's sort of like, (laughs) it doesn't account the storytelling doesn't account for like what's been going on for the last yeah. like 15 years, except for like the breakup with Samantha. And that's like super weird and like unimaginative. That's, and I think the show is unimaginative. Yes. So we've gotten this far without mentioning that Kim Cattrall who played Samantha is not oh, yeah. in the show, which you knew because there's been like what? 20 years. Because of, she hates Sarah Jessica Parker. Right. Of coverage of like the feud between them and like a, at least a year's worth of coverage of like, will they kill off Samantha? How will they deal with the fact that Samantha is not on the show? It does. Exp- it doesn't also explain a lot like why sh- her, she was in California for a lot of the show. Yeah. While she, why she was off with Smith Jarrett and not for the show before the movies while she's off with Smith Jarrett, like all of like the side Samantha stuff. You're like, oh, so she didn't have to interact with Carrie. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I've seen people say that it's a real missed opportunity in a lot of ways. Number one, because the way they explain it is just like she and Carrie had a falling out because Carrie didn't want to use her as a book publicist anymore because Carrie wasn't writing books anymore because, you know, now she's a podcaster. Sure. Why not? And, and so that was it. And Samantha just doesn't speak to them anymore, which is, I think a great, premise and a friend breakup, especially among a a group of four close-knit people, is a real and painful thing that happens to women of all ages and gets Mm -hmm. very complicated and would be like a realistic source of drama and tension and like story for this show that would make sense at the age. And so many people have pointed out like, why isn't this part of the show? But it's not really. They just say that it happens and she's not there and introduce all of these other kind of more cringy dramatic elements when there's this hole at the center. The other thing is that I do really feel Samantha lacking in terms of the, 
I feel her absence in the way that they talk about sex. And to your point of the way that they learn about things in the world, because Samantha was like the engine of opening these straight white women's eyes to larger parts of the world and certainly sex. And she was often used as the butt of the joke. And I, she was often wading into waters that are just not how we talk about things right now, whether it's sexual identity or gender identity, but she was, that was the character that they used to like start a conversation. And without that character, it's sort of three very buttoned up women being like, Oh my God, I can't talk about masturbation, which what is that? There's a whole, I don't know plot line where Carrie is like too private to talk or or too embarrassed to even say the word masturbation on her podcast, which is not the Carrie that we knew 20 years ago. Definitely not. Which like, I guess, you know, people get more small C conservative as they get older. Sure. I I suppose so. But um, yeah, I think one of the things with Samantha, she was like, as you were saying, like the engine for subversion. Mm -hmm. And so without her, there's like a lack of comfort of any of these women in like being subversive, I guess. And so that brings in like all these like deus ex machina characters, at least they feel the way right now. I guess they'll expand them to feel like more, you know, um, woven into the fabric of the show. But it just felt like everyone they added in, in the first episode was like a convenient way to address a, an absence of the show previously instead of like smart and clever writing and um, using like the ignorance of the women or or their shortcomings in like creative ways because it sort of like perpetuates a lot of the problems of like quote unquote cancel culture where like we have these three main characters who are just like oblivious and like trying Mm -hmm. to learn, but doing badly instead of like any earnest reflection or learning or whatever. So I actually don't know how the show could have solved that well, but it's gone so far in the direction of like, of trying to plug all these holes without doing like significant work. It's just very awkward. Right. I think I agree with you completely that at some point, just the premise of these characters could be somewhat subversive and at least how they talked about sex in the late 1990s on television, but these characters can't be subversive anymore. Just in, you know, time has passed them by, which is fine. It happens to all of us. Um, Or time has passed them by in that particular way uh, as a uh, framework for talking about women and sex in public and, you know, and, and to an extent like women's like relationships and kind of just like 30 something women's lives, which it, you know, it does in some sense become about the friendships as much as it is about the sex as the show kind of moves along. But yeah, I, I, it's sort of unupdatable. Yeah. But this is like a pretty, this is a bad, a bad attempt. Uncomfortable version of, yeah. of updating. I've also been thinking about all the sh- television shows that really foreground professional adult women s- in mm-hmm. the time since, and both scripted and unscripted. And I think, you know, this was a landmark show because all four of these women also worked. It wasn't really, it was like their relationships were central, but their identities were more about each other and sort of like their character traits versus their relationships. Cause the men came and went so, so much except for like a few central characters. Right. But like, mm-hmm. and so that was like really, really groundbreaking, but in the intervening time since the show ended, and of course there's the two movies, but like those barely count. Uh, although I like <laughs> the first one a lot. Um, I cried. I always cry at the end when the, when the girls show up at city. Oh, Hall. it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sweet. But in the intervening time, like there's been like on this, on the scripted side, like I was thinking about like the good wife and Grey's anatomy, which both have a lot of sex in them and like, you know, try to like be comfortable talking about sex and also have like professional women. And I would say the good wife is like also really relevant because it has really rich people in it. And like a lot of like really nice clothes and like fraught relationships. And then I was thinking about the real housewives. And I think all these are relevant because I was thinking about like, what kind of depiction do I want of women in their fifties? Like like rich professional women, in their fifties navigating life with each other. And it used and like sex in the city was like such a paradigm shaping treatise because these other shows didn't exist and like did pave the way for them for like there to be an interest in like adult women, like in fo- focus on them, not in like a slapstick sitcom kind of way. But I think because there are like more frames of reference of like of women like that on TV, it's like a little bit harder to think about like what, what I actually want out of a sex in the city 
like follow-up TV show because it's not a spinoff. It's like following the same characters. And I was like, do I want to see them going to like charity events? Like they started out doing on the real housewives. Do I want to see them in the Hamptons? Like, I don't really know. Right. And it's tough. And it's tough because like, I, I like, I don't really want those things. And I say that based on these other shows that I watch. And I'm like, if it's anything like that, and it's just like, nah, no thanks. So I don't really know what the answer is, but, um, I want to talk about the podcast stuff. Cause that's also right. just like such a fucking horrible part of this. <laughs> I would, I would throw in two more shows and this is like a really narrow HBO definition of its successors, but obviously girls. Yeah. And then, and then insecure, which are about a group of a small group of female friends. Um, Girls, less a professional uh, emphasis for like a number of reasons, Um, but also really um, geographically located. Yeah. Girls in New York and Insecure in Los Angeles and and also of a time period. Girls in their 20s and I would say Insecure is like 20s to early 30s. Mm -hmm. Is that right? I guess they're also early 30s by the God. I just remembered the finale of Girls. What a travesty. Lena Dunham having a baby. Sorry, Hannah Horvath having a child. Yeah, like yes. Working on latching. Yes. Sure. Um, Not what I was hoping for, but that's okay. Some real highs on that show. Sure. I really enjoyed the beginning of I it. Lo- I loved Girls. Yeah, I miss it. So, it, which then again raises the question of like, what do you want this show to be? Was it an exploration of like a certain, a women group of women in a certain time of their life and place figuring out how to be adult women you know, without like the, the influence of men in this, in the same way that like a traditional sitcom would provide, or is it about friendships and growing up? I, I sort of feel like this version of, and just like that abandoned the friendship as the central thing, even though they are all three characters together and they're still friends. Um, but it wanted, it, it seems to be holding so tight to its, let us be on the cutting edge of social commentary as opposed to the, this is a group of people you love and you want to see again and you want to see what's going on with them. And I kind of think I would have preferred more of the latter. I also just think like the latter possibly would have been made more sense. Um, But to your point also of how do you watch female characters age on TV over time? Still like sort of uncharted territory. It's really hard. Yeah, I give them some credit for trying, but also I wish there were fewer like hearing aid jokes. It, it's like it really bums me out. It's fine. Steve needs hearing aids. We all need help. Who cares? Yeah. You know, Grace is trying this. It has been in the process of it since for a long time. Meredith is now like elder stateswoman of the show. The mm-hmm. show is in season started in 2005. So I think it's like season 17 or something like that. And like they're they're trying and it and that's not even completely working. And like, you know, it's just, it's just very hard because also like if you aren't going to just like introduce like a ton of like divorce and like cheating storylines, it's just sort of like, you know, can an entire show be sustained through like tense relationships that you are committed to and sticking with and working through? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like that's what in treatment and divorce might be for. I, I don't know. It's just like a different phase of life where people cycle in and out at a different cadence. And I think that's right. sort of like why sex in the city and girls and insecure work is because like the psych, because like the friendships at the center of your life, like those are, those are the constants and the romantic relationships are the ones that are like constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. And so that like that, that like just sort of fundamental aspect of, you know, being young is really convenient for TV. And when you lose that, when you and like, and that's why like, it's easier to make a, I think like a movie about like a strained relationship or it's like, or it's easier to make movies about like middle age life because the cadence of life is just different. Yes. Would you like to talk about the podcast now? Well, I couldn't watch Only Murders in the Building because of the podcast stuff on it. Oh, I couldn't among, watch among other I, reasons. I couldn't watch it because even though I paid Hulu all the money, I kept getting ads every ten minutes, oh. and I was just like, "This is too many ads for that's me." On, so that's I, on you, Amanda. I didn't have any ads. I know, and everyone said that, and I can't figure it out. But I paid like a lot of money. And I understand that ads are like a vital part of a lot of businesses or whatever, but 25 minute episodes and multiple ads. I was just like, I'm a human being. I can't do this anyway. Um, podcasting, uh, as we talk to each other from our respective homes, as we have been for the last 21 months, podcasting can be really straightforward and fun and like not the like ridiculous production that they made it seem like in that show. Also like you, you know, 
this is Carrie's podcast. It definitely seems like she's just like a guest doing it one time. Yes. Like maybe that's a good part of the show because she's like so uncomfortable with it. But like the way that um, podcasting is represented on television is so like, it, it's like almost as unlike the actual experience as like doctor shows are about medicine. I mean, it's, it's so insane. And like, it's just not that podcasting is not that deep. Like, you know, this is obviously our metier. So I have a lot of thoughts on it, so but me, it really, really gets in the way for me. Okay. Let me just say, I, I love like production Juliet logging on. And let me tell you guys that you have access to like a very rarefied talent in this space right now. And Juliet, <laughs> no, I'm serious, but also like, please sort of stop undermining your own work. Um, I, it is, it is true that, well, when we were in studios, which we were, and there were videos of it, people can see us. We did have, you know, actual studios with equipment. Sure. And, and we will again. And we will. Day. And we have like producers and engineers, like like our producer, Erica, who we're very grateful for. And I guess we didn't have any buttons that you could hit for sound effects mid, like mid podcast. Like we a also were shock like, jock. Yeah. It's just, maybe that's, maybe that is like the more public radio version of it. Sure. I don't. I don't know, but just the way they talk about podcasting, which is like, I like Carrie, no one's friends listen to their friends podcast. Like literally none. Like it's fine that Miranda didn't listen. She shouldn't. <laughs> I have a couple of friends who are listening to this podcast and I love okay. them all very much. Your friends are nicer to you than mine are to, my, to me, but actually I don't care. I'm like, I have I a like, lot of friends like- who listen to your podcast as well. <laughs> I have multiple <laughs> friends who just text me. Can you ask Juliet this bachelor question? And sometimes I do. So they love you as well. And also you I, sp- I'm not saying that people don't like our work and I really appreciate the audience. It's and also love the feedback. It's very nice, but I'm just saying like, I don't know. Like, does every, does like all of Sarah Jessica Parker's friends watch every episode of divorce? I highly doubt it. (laughs) No, I think that's very true. And it's more, I think that's more about her anxiety about trying to reinvent her career in a late stage of life and being in a new medium that is apparently foreign to her. Uh, And apparently the difference between writing something and saying it out loud in a conversational setting is very stressful to her. I find the reverse to be true, but that's just me. Um, I It did make me want uh, like sound effect buttons that I could press, but I, you couldn't responsibly give them to me because I'd go crazy. We can make that happen, Amanda, if you okay. want. Some of our other shows have that. I don't know what they would be, uh, but I also would want a physical button to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like that looked, staples button. Yeah, that looked really fun. Oh God, I love the staples button. Um, <laughs> I once worked at a job where like people would, re-engineer the staples button to to play like different things it was great uh yeah I it's I don't want to denigrate the great work that you do and it does require like a lot of organization it took a lot of effort for us to run to be able to like keep doing our jobs and Juliet did most of it thanks but, Amanda but it's it's excruciating it's really it's excruciating really... it's just like get a different get a different job Carrie I can't deal with this um Let's talk about Peloton as a brand. Okay. Sure. Spoiler alert. Big dies after having a heart attack um, following a Peloton ride. How soon was this spoiled for you? Like, I just assumed he died. And I asked someone who had watched it on Friday, last a few days ago. Perhaps it was Chris Ryan. I think I asked Chris Ryan if Big was dead. And he just said Mm -hmm. yes. So I assumed that he was dying. I knew he wasn't in the show. Really. I know that he had filmed. I knew that he had filmed some scenes. But I just assumed he would die because you, after they finally get together, you can't have them break up. Um, well, you can, but they did in the movie. And right. Then, and then are they on together. the rocks in part two? No idea. Okay. I don't remember either. I did see it though. Um, I had it spoiled for me. This show, the first two episodes went up on HBO Max on a Thursday. At eight, like 8 a.m. or something. At 8 a.m. And I had it spoiled for me by 1 p.m. on Thursday. By a oh dumb gosh. headline covering the Peloton of it all. And I, and, and I have to be honest, I was furious. Not because this show, like, is a, is a, is a plot only, like, rarefied experience for me. And not only, like, not because Mr. Big died. But I'm just like, are we really expecting the audience of a reboot show about 55-year-old women to be up at Thursday at 8 a.m. catching the new episode, <laughs> lest the episode be spoiled for them. I just, could everyone chill out? 
This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. I don't know. Is this show doing well? Who's watching it? Yes, I think it's doing incredibly well. I mean, you know, HBO Max released the selective stats and you can never really tell with streaming services. But I think it was like they had the most views in 24 hours of any new show uploaded to HBO Max. No, like a ton of people watched this. Wow. They are are like not the people on Reddit, so you don't hear about it as much. But maybe the people on Reddit did. I don't don't really know. Um, But yes. I will say, though, we're like, we don't know what we want from people middle-aged on TV. I, I mm-hmm. do feel like there's a real niche for middle-aged TV, on, at least on basic cable. Like, you know, Yellowstone's sure. really popular. Yeah. Um, Old people I mean, exist. I hate how ageist our society is. I think it's horrible. Like, it's so mean. I, well, I agree. But I would also say that I felt the coverage of the Peloton experience did not account for the viewing habits of the intended population. I just, I, I, agree. I did not sign up to a Hawkeye or whatever that is experience to quote Gwyneth Paltrow. Like I'm not getting up at 8 a.m. on a Thursday to watch, you know, my old friends wear fancy dresses and go to museum lobbies to have lunch. That's just, no, I'm saving it for a nice time, please. I'm glad you put it that way because I was, I was watching, I was thinking like, if you care about these characters, there's no way you can stay away, even if it sucks. Of and course. so and I, we've like definitely reached the point of television saturation where a good hang is like a, a sort of like what you need for a television show. Right. And so like, you know, and and that it definitely fulfills the good hang. I don't know. It's a hang with characters you missed. So at least there's that. Yeah. Though that's why I'm almost angrier that it's so excruciating because I was like hiding under the covers at some point during some of the Miranda scenes. And I mean, a lot of the Miranda scenes, I episode two just gets also very dark and, and many of the social interactions in general with random people where just even the rhythm of the show and the comedy it's weird is just is off. And let's be honest, the rhythm and the comedy of the original show was like a little hokey. And, you know, I had to wonder and, and just like that being part of the, the, the narration and the one-liners and, and Sarah Jessica Parker would be doing sort of like stand-up comedy puns and a lot of the things. And it was cute because they had figured out the energy, but they're not doing that as much in the new show. So it's pretty uncomfortable, but I still like, I finished two episodes and I was like, please give me eight more right now. I would like to watch all of them. Like I'm ready. Is it going weekly after this or what? Yes, or is it? Th- I believe gotcha. so. Yeah. You know, I also was thinking about like post Francis, ha, like mm-hmm. how do you do how, like I was thinking 
do I wish they had brought in like someone with a totally different sensibility to like take over the reins? Cause like Patricia Fields out, the fashion is sort of like a little bit less fun in some ways, just because it, it feels more so everything just feels more self-conscious. And so I'm like, should they have brought in someone with like a fret who like, it's a huge fan of the original, but like a fresh perspective essentially to introduce like a new era. I'm just like, do I wish that they had gotten Greta Gerwig to make this show? The fashion in particular is also like a little uh, prudish or ashamed and sort of like age appropriate is lingering, lingering over it in ways that like are a bummer because yes, yeah, so there's, there's the opposite of the real housewives. Exactly. Well, <laughs> which is a whole other conversation, but Carrie was dressing for herself and for the, the fabulousness of it. If you know, to use a Carrie Bradshaw word as opposed to, um, following any sort of set rules. And it feels like there is a lot of, uh, just self-consciousness. It's about, yeah. The other, the other thing I think is missing in the original show, like you root, you just like, we're rooting for everyone to find happiness. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really know what we're rooting for right now. Yeah, I think that's true. Though I will say on my last rewatch or the past couple months, I found myself getting a little exasperated with Carrie. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's how I know that I'm old. So maybe we're being too hard on all of these people because at a certain point you age out of this demographic and then you've lived a different kind of life and you're like, why are you doing this? You need to figure out some other ways to do things, which is unfair, I think. It's like, I I would like them to still have a generous spirit towards Carrie, even if I felt myself being like, ma'am, like, what do you think is going to happen here if you go to his house right now? Like, what do you think is going to happen if you pick up the phone? We've, We've been through this before. Dating, Amanda. It's so I know. hard. I know. It really Stinks. is. Wait, but so, okay, let's talk about Peloton. Because um, it got spoiled for me. Rough times for the Peloton brand, I would say. Just in general. There's, there's like, it's just, um, I wonder when they agreed to allow their product on the show, if they knew this is how it was going to be used. So my understanding, the coverage is that they did not know that this was going to be the plot point. And mm. so the the commercial that was released... Uh, with Ryan Reynolds doing voiceover, starring Chris Noth, and I believe Jess King is the Peloton instructor. I'm not uh, uh, familiar with the Peloton celebrity universe, though that is like, that is a real area um, that we could explore. People are very invested in it, and I thought the show actually did a good job of, like, that Mr. Big would have like a specific Peloton instructor that he was looking forward to take a class from is, is one of the more realistic things on the show. Agreed. But so that commercial was put together over the weekend. There was no plans of it, which before the show was released and it was filmed like in 24 hours. So that leads me to believe that Peloton didn't have all of the information. And also I think part of the way that I got spoiled was that Peloton did on Thursday release a pretty angry state, not angry, but um, a forceful statement about its portrayal on the show uh, and, you know, the value of exercise (laughs) because I think like it's a problem. The show is basically like doing a Peloton ride killed Mr. Big, which is not how cardiovascular health works. And it's not how Peloton works. I really recommend um, Rachel Handler interviewed a cardiologist for Vulture um, about a number of things, including whether Carrie should have called 911. We'll come back to that. Um, the cardiologist and everyone has been very adamant that exercising is good for you, even if you have a history of heart disease. But yeah, it was bad. Peloton stock plummeted. They had to race out this ad with Ryan Reynolds, which, I mean, that guy, whatever you think about him, just really manages to insert himself into every situation. So you got to get money for that. Good for yeah. him. Uh, I guess it was like his creative quote, his quote creative firm, which is his advertising firm that produced it. And and I, th- I think Peloton, it's like it's tipping back towards Peloton and people are frustrated with Carrie now and not mad at Peloton and they understand that exercise is good. But it was it was a tough ride there, pun intended, for a few days for, Pel- for Peloton. I know it was spoiled for you, so you had time to process your emotions, but were yeah. you upset that Big died? Like, were you mad at the show for killing Big? No, not really. I, I mean, that's another thing that's interesting. And we've talked about this before is that your age and where you are in life, big versus Aiden is like a real litmus test. And I found myself waffling over the years of 
who's best for her? What's the choice that she should make? What's happy? What's a bummer? I mean, it seems like at this point, these two characters had reached a nice point in mm-hmm. their lives. They, you know, the episode where they're the scene where they're cooking dinner and going through their record project seems like they had a nice lockdown, you know, as far as those things go. So, but no, I wasn't like, this is the one true love yeah. that you've just completely wrecked. So I wasn't that mad. I was more mad about the way that it, not the way that it happened in terms of the Peloton, but the final moments and just the complete lack of medical intervention, um, which is, I'm not the only person. I would point everyone to Jonah Hill's Instagram, which was <laughs> just a screenshot of a notes app asking why didn't Carrie call 911 immediately? Great question. Why did Carrie not call 911 immediately? I don't know. There's no, there's no answer. I also, I got to ask you, I know that they make a big point of big dropping his phone into the running shower as he falls. It would have worked. It would have worked, right? Like if you recover it quickly, you can make one emergency call before things really short circuit. I think iPhones now can like be underwater for like certain number of seconds. I remember that happened a few years ago. So it's ridiculous. I mean, he's not particularly mobile. He couldn't, maybe he couldn't reach it, but I'm just like there. There was time. The shower looked really nice. It did look really nice, though. I was surprised by the decor choices in their home. Me too. It was so big and didn't feel like Carrie. Yeah. It felt like she moved into his apartment and like that's not where they ended things last time I checked in. And I would just say like the the color choices in general Mm, a lot darker than I expected. And you and that's you and I share that aversion. So anyway. It was a nice shower, beautiful closet also, of course, mm-hmm. uh, just a running theme in Sex in the City. But I, I was so frustrated. <laughs> and and I understand that they're really milking it. It's supposed to be that like one last romantic moment of them together. And they've talked about how important it is. I read an interview with Chris Noth, I believe in Vogue. He was like, that was supposed to be like our Bonnie and Clyde moment of they know what's going to happen, but they like get to have one last look at each other. But like... Sir and ma'am and people of sex in the city. Like, like we're all grown-ups. Call a fucking doctor. I know. It's inexplicable. It's really, it's just like a it's just weird. Yeah. I don't know. There's something just shouldn't be revisited, shouldn't be rebooted. And this was one of them. But whatever. Glad to have your friends back. Yeah. I think I guess there is no way it could be truly great. It couldn't be like no. the original. And so I guess there are some things you want to preserve forever. And and on the movie side of things, I get really mad when they remake classics and it's not as good. Though I will say, I thought West Side Story is, was wonderful. And if you get a go chance tonight. to see it, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's just like a big movie, delightful experience. So I've been wrong twice. I would like for it to be better. It's fine. I'm going to watch all of it anyway. Uh, there's just one more thing I want to say, which is Karen Pittman, who is plays the professor of the... Naya. Yeah. Yes. The graduate studies program that Miranda's taking and just has to deal with all of like Miranda's nonsense. Um, This is the second time that Karen Pittman, a wonderful actor, has been in a total mess of this, has been like the one good person in a total mess of a show. She's also on the morning show Mm. um, and she's really great in what was otherwise a total disaster of a season. So I'd just like to to thank her and I I would love for her to wind up on a good show. I think she deserves it. Totally. Okay. Totally. Uh the stuff with Miranda's really upsetting. It's not good. <laughs> it's also gonna get worse, but anyway. <sighs> well, I'm curious to hear what other people think. Um, I probably won't watch the whole thing. Maybe I'll binge it at some point when it's all available, but it's just a downer for me. I don't know. I need you to watch it just so I have people okay. to text about it. Like I, I honestly texted you six minutes into the first episode. And I was like, I just need emotional support. <laughs> and I do. I really, I need emotional support. I need a community to talk to this about. Okay. So, all right. I'll, I'll do it then just for you. Okay. Thank you. Um, lastly, I just want to briefly touch on this. Um, the Spider-Man three press tour. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm, I don't really participate in Marvel except for select occasions, but I've so been enjoying the Tom Holland Zendaya photo ops. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to watch Spider-Man 
Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home or what? what's the first one called? Just Spider-Man? I think Homecoming sounds right. The first one's delightful. I, I really recommend it. The second one is the Jake Gyllenhaal one. Right. Didn't like it as much, but it is Jake Gyllenhaal if you feel like you need to be a completist there. Um, but I, I don't. Think, I've never seen Donnie Darko. But, okay. Um, I, I think Tom Holland's very winning. I want to participate in this moment. I think they're okay. a great celeb couple. I feel like um, for anyone who's like sad about Shawn Mendes and Camille Cabello breaking up, like this is like a great duo to put your attention on. Not that I fall into that category. And I don't know. I just think it's fun. I also feel like I, I just, I don't think this is too, too much of a daring take, but I feel like these two will look back on the Spider-Man years and be like, oh yes, that's when we work together. Like it's very, it's very like Seth and Summer, Ben and Felicity to me, where it's like the proximity just sort of, and like the fact that they're like on screen together, like makes it happen. Not that I've seen the movies. I'm just assuming. Okay. And I don't know. I just enjoy it. I love like a sort of, I love a couple attached to like an iconic product. But so that's that's a great setup for the question I'd like to ask you, which is like, do you believe in the couple or do you think the couple is part of the product? I believe in the couple so much okay. as like the couple, when you're that famous, that young, you can like really be in, in any kind of relationship. I mean, it's quite similar to Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, right? Yeah, that is true. And but, did Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst ever have a thing? I don't think so. No, because I think she was actually dating Jake Gyllenhaal at that point. That's oh, right. the, the that's salad. This, the salad photos are of that time. I'm not sure about the complete overlap. You're right about Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, though, and it was just sort of like a different time in celebrity and like social media world. So I think it was probably easier for them to be a little more public off well, cycle, you know, and without they, it yeah. being as invasive. When he used to hold up the signs for the paparazzi. Remember that? Right, 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 right. But, you know, I, I, I love Tom Holland and Zendaya and I too have, I think they've been very charming and they're very good at press tours, which is also something I appreciate. You know, I need something on my Instagram explore tab because I'm not going to watch any of these fake TikTokers like explaining, (laughs) you know, doing their memes or whatever. Please stop serving me that Instagram. I'm not interested in your reels, but I do like the Tom Holland and Zendaya content. I think they're very winning in the movies and, uh, but I have noticed that they tend to be together or the rumors about them tend to be together when they have movies coming out. Um, when they have to spend time together. Exactly. Right. And, and I think you're right. It's that celebrity relationships are unlike other relationships and, and who can really say where the work commitments end and the yeah. real life begins. Um, I, I'm very charmed by it. I, it's I good content too. and I, I, I hope they're well. Tom Holland does seem like he's becoming slightly overwhelmed by all of the attention that comes with being Spider-Man. And I like, it's something that I have no access to. Like, I know that they're both really famous and I know that like, there's an extreme amount of anticipation for this mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. but I have no idea why. Like, I don't understand any of it. <laughs> well, I, th- I mean, there is like the Marvel component and I think Spider-Man is like one of the most beloved, beloved characters. Yeah. Well, which makes a lot of sense. It's like, it's like Spider-Man. Yeah. I liked, I, I mean, liked he's Maguire a teenager. Movies. Then he gets like, superpowers and he's just trying to figure it all out. It's like the, the sense of wonder is the Mm -hmm. easiest to access. I get it. But then also specifically to Tom Holland, there's a real, like a very strong, like one direction teen Mm -hmm. online element to this. Um, I just feel like a generation or maybe even two generations younger than us. Mm -hmm. He is the number one most famous person on the planet. And so I think that is pushing some of it as well. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Well, I'm gonna have to learn about this. I guess if I like was like he's, on TikTok, I'd get he's Tom maybe memes. like Leo and Titanic for for people oh, my now, age. Now you're speaking my language. Yeah. That I think that's kind of what's happening. So I and I, I think that's great for the movies and probably overwhelming for Tom Holland in mm. particular, you know, as it as it was for Leo. Sure. Um, so I I wish everybody well. Me too. I wish everybody well. Um, can I just share one personal update and then Please. we can end this podcast? Yeah. About, you know, 10 days on from having watched Get Back, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm finally coming to terms with the Beatles breaking up. So I'm making some emotional progress. Okay. But like, are you're accepting that it was, that it happened? Where, have you been like in a blame phase? Have you been really upset? I've just been like really upset. Okay. I've just been like, I can't believe this greatness was was shattered. Is this the first time you've been going through these emotions? Yes, it is. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. 
That's kind of a late in life thing for you. Almost 50 years after the original, (laughs) but but that's okay. You know, everybody has to go through it. I think that speaks to the power of get back. Um, Definitely. I I didn't think about the Beatles or their breakup before two weeks ago. So, you know, I, I think there's an argument to be made and I think get back does a great job of explaining all of the different reasons that this was not sustainable. Some of them personal, some of them financial, some of them just kind of, you know, it is a little bit like a friend breakup. It's not that different from sex in the city in the terms of like, it's a group of four people and they are together in this phase of life. And then they got to enter different phases of life with different priorities and things get like pretty rocky. It's very fertile storytelling ground. So get back helped me to better maybe not understand, I guess understand, like see all the different pieces. And it does make it a bit harder to imagine them like in 1985, still kind of churning out albums, basically the Rolling Stones path, right? Of being like, yeah, "Eh, we got together for a while. We made something, then we'll tour to make some money, but it's not of the moment in the same way. And we're like very early nostalgia merchants. And I think obviously John Lennon's like tragic death cuts a lot of that off and adds, you know, a lot of things that could be missed. Like maybe they would have gotten back together at some point or maybe whatever. But I, I do think you had like 10 great years, you know, and that does add to the aura of the Beatles. Sure. Even though it's a real bummer. Well, I'm still processing it right now. I'm in the middle of watching Paul McCartney and Howard Stern from 2001. So I'm catching up. Okay. Now I'm great. Now I'm only 20 years behind. So, okay. That's really good. That's really good. I guess. And just like that should have just been get back and then it would have been excellent. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. We solved it. We solved TV. Only breakups from here on out. Okay. Um, Erica Cervantes, thank you for producing this episode. Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back next week. Last episode of the year, I think. So tune in. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.